continuing this series that we're working on called The Power of Forgiveness. And today I want to begin looking at a new question. I told you last week we would start a new section of this forgiveness um, um, series. This one is going to be called, Is Forgiveness Really Forever? Is forgiveness really forever? It's a question I hear a lot. Some of you have been giving me a hard time about, about even talking around this question because, of course, the answer is yes. Yes, forgiveness really is forever. And somebody said to me, well, if the answer is to that question is yes, then why don't we just pray and go on and eat lunch? We don't have to hang around here this morning. All you can say is yes and move on. And I hope we will do that, but before we do that, we're going to explore this question just a, just a little bit deeper, because after all, we all want to know how in the world can my forgiveness from God be forever? Is it really? Really forever? The last three weeks, we talked about how to forgive others. And we talked about uh, holding grudges, remember? And obviously from a human standpoint, forgiveness is not eternal. We just can't do that eternally from a human standpoint. We're humans. We're limited individuals, and we don't even understand all about forgiveness, let alone be able to forgive, uh, to be able to give uh, unlimited forgiveness. So today, the type of forgiveness that we're going to talk about is God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness of you and me. And God's forgiveness is not limited by anything, time or space or anything. God's forgiveness is complete. And God's forgiveness is free. God's eternal forgiveness is an act of eternal love, pure love. I wrote in your handout there several uh, questions that I think I've heard people ask. Hopefully by the end of this uh, portion of the forgiveness series, you will have answers to all of those. Does God really love me? I'm asked frequently, how, how could he love me? He can't possibly love me. If, if you knew what I have, have done, you know all the things that I've done? You know all the people that I've hurt? He couldn't possibly love me. The second here is, on what is my relationship with God based? Is it on feelings? Is it based on facts? Is it based on God's word? Is it based on faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your forgiveness? How can I know for sure that when I die, I will spend eternity in heaven? Now, there's one that I, hardly a week goes by that somebody doesn't ask me that. How can I know that for sure? We definitely are going to 
look at that today and next week. And the last one, without any insecurities in any of these above matters here, what would or what could my life look like? How would I live my life differently if I didn't have any insecurities in those areas? So one of the most frequently asked questions here at Renovation is, how can I know that God really forgives me for that? How can I know that? How can I know that I have an eternal relationship with God? How can I be sure, beyond the shadow of a doubt, that I'm going to heaven when I die? How can I know that I'm saved, whatever that term means to, to you? Some of you may be familiar with that. Some of you may not. Is my salvation really secure? So that's where we're going to begin today, right there. And you need to know that one of the things that God wants you to know, that he wants you to believe above all else, beyond the shadow of a doubt, is that, and this just happens to be our big idea, in Christ, in Christ, you are eternally forgiven. He wants you to know that. As a matter of fact, there are entire chapters in the Bible that deal with a specific issue. And one of them is 1 John chapter 5. Here again, I'm not going to take time to read all of it here, but that would be a great read for you this week. It's a little short chapter. And you can read about how you know that you are a child of God's. How can you know that? He tells you in 1 John chapter 5. Let me pull one verse, just one verse out of that uh, chapter from the Bible. And I put it at the top of your handout there. Yes. The writer of 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says this. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life might be helpful for you on your sheet there to underline or circle or star or something. <clears throat> that word, no. No. So that you may know. And then do the same thing to those two words, eternal life. You can know eternal life. No. The Bible is divided into two parts, most of you are aware of that. The Old Testament and the New Testament. And the New Testament was originally written in, in the Greek language. In the Greek, there's a lot of words that mean to know, the verb to know. And the word that's used in this particular scripture here, 1 John 5, 13, means to know within your heart, deep down within your heart, to know for certain, as I said, beyond the shadow of a doubt. To know something that you are never, ever, ever going to forget. It's the kind of deep knowing that, that it's talking about. To know something of extreme importance. And God says here, I want you to, 
know. I want you to know it in your bones that you know that you have eternal life. Several weeks ago, we kicked off uh, this series on forgiveness. And I did talk about eternal life, remember? We talked about uh, the fact that when we say the term eternal life, we certainly think about a quantity of life. Eternal life, that's a long time, isn't it? It goes on and on and on. But the word eternal life, I told you, means more than just a quantity of life. It has to do with the quality of your life. And I think in many ways that's even more important. The quality of your life. It's, it's a life that matters. It's a life that's significant. It's a, a life of peace. It's a life of joy. It's a life of all that God wants to give you. To give you. He's got gifts for you. Like the prodigal son that we talked about a few weeks ago. When, when you decide to return home to God the Father and to receive his forgiveness, God gives you a number of gifts. The prodigal was given sandals for his feet, a robe for his uh, body, a ring for his finger, and a fattened cow for God gives you the gift of eternal life, which we call salvation. Or we may call it being saved. God gives you the gift of forgiveness. And forgiveness is the beginning, only the beginning of the relationship we have with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And God gives to you the gift of of eternal security, which we call the assurance of our salvation. Never being able to lose our eternal life, no matter what. You see, understanding your eternal security and knowing that you are forgiven forever is the key to being able to experience the quality life that God has for you. You have to put those two things together. When you're uncertain about your eternal security, it can hinder your enjoyment of life. It can hurt that relationship that you have with God, and it can hamper your ability to be able to forgive other people. And the reality is that in this church, in Renovation Church today, a lot of you are walking around in your everyday life unsure and insecure about your salvation. We're not unique. It's, unique. it's the same in, in any church that you go to. Sometimes... Sometimes you're afraid to talk about it because you're afraid of what that might mean. Have I lost it? Have I lost my salvation? Have I lost my eternal security? Did I ever really have it? 
Maybe I didn't really have it. Well, today and next week, I want us to bring the topic of eternal security, eternal forgiveness, we could call it, out into the open, and I want us to talk about it. Why is that so important for you and for me? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because when you're insecure about your eternal security, it can lead to undue stress, undue doubt, fear and indecision, worry, and even bad health. You worry yourself to death. This is an important issue. So let's talk about it. Or as my biology professor in college used to say, let's put the dead cat on the table and cut it open. <laughs> Theologically speaking, the issue we're talking about is often called eternal security. That's the term that's used. So that's what we're gonna, how we're going to refer to it today. But depending on your religious tradition, and we've got many different religious traditions in here, if you had a religious tradition, maybe you didn't grow up in a church, you may have heard this thing referred to as security of the saints, perseverance of the saints, assurance of salvation, or maybe even once saved, always saved. Whatever term you may have heard or used, the question really is, how do I know that I'm saved? How do I know that I'm secure for eternity? So I'm going to begin with this. Sealing my eternity in Christ. Sealing my eternity in Christ. How do I know that I'm eternally safe and secure? What do I have to do for my eternity has to be sealed in Christ? And this issue of sealing, of putting a seal, you know, on something may be a little strange for us today. Today you seal an envelope, you know, by by leaking it shut. Or, if you're like me, you hate to do that, so you get the envelope that has the little pull tab on it, and you know that makes it a lot easier, and you seal it, and it's sealed for good. Those things are hard to open. You might even seal a safe by putting a lock, a clasp on that safe. But in those days, those days, they would seal a document, first of all, with clay. They would put clay onto the document, put an imprint in the clay, and allow the clay to dry on the parchment. Because it was parchment, the clay would seep down into the materials of the paper itself, if you will, and it would stay. It would be there. They would oftentimes seal wine, a wine bottle, to look all over. Found it in the kitchen. Uh, I had to look all over, and uh, here's a bottle, a stoneware bottle, that you would put, uh, seal it with cork, and then put wax on the top of it. And that 
That process right there is something that would keep the wine fresh, if you will, tasty, intact in this bottle until it is opened. So God's plan for your eternal forgiveness is that you and I become sealed, closed up, sealed, sealed. So how are you sealed in Christ? What does that mean? You can't seal yourself. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't earn eternal forgiveness. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, that you and I can do, humanly speaking, to gain our entrance into heaven or to gain eternal forgiveness for that uh, point. We have to receive that in Christ. That's what Easter is all about, isn't it? We just celebrated Easter not too long ago. Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. So the key to sealing your eternity is to place your life in Christ. Just like the prodigal son who left his father. Because you and I have sinned, because you and I have gone our own way, because you and I have done our own thing, because you and I have not turned back to our Heavenly Father, we can't forgive ourselves. We can't seal our own eternity. We can't earn our way back. There's nothing we can do that would be enough to earn our way back. But listen to me. God loves you. You. God loves you too much to leave you hopeless like that. With no way to get back home. So God did what only God could do. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to bring you back home to Him. What a plan. And when you place your life in Christ, you're sealed then for eternity. And it is only, only in Christ that you can have the security for your eternal life. We did a study two summers ago in the book of Colossians. Those of you that were here, I told you every time you saw the phrase, in Christ, to underline. And if you did that, your Bible is covered with underlines in the book of Colossians. Colossians is all about being in Christ. In Christ is one of the most important things in the entire Bible. For example, in Ephesians 1, just the first four verses that I've put uh, at the top of all right, on the back of your handout there. You see that in Christ is used over and over and over again. So let me read that to you. As you, uh, you know, that's not the Torah version either, is it? That's the... Uh, it's about 7, 8. This is Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Sorry, sorry. It begins at verse 3. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves, in Christ. In him, it's in Christ, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when? when the times will have reached their fulfillment. The plan will be put into place. The purpose will be put into place. And I believe if I counted them right, there's five times. We're going to use five anyway, five times in your passage that God says, in Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. In Christ, you were chosen, for he chose us in him. In Christ, you were adopted as his sons. In Christ, you were set free. You were redeemed. And in Christ, you are eternally forgiven. So this idea of placing Christ in your life, to being in Christ, is critical to your life. In fact, that's really what it means when we say to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian simply means that I made a spiritual decision to take my life and to place my life in Christ. To place it in Him. And I realize that in this room, a lot of you people have made the spiritual decision to place your lives in Christ at some point. Last Easter, if you were here, you had a baptism. And we saw seven people who were being baptized here as an expression of the fact that they were safe and secure in Christ. Many of us, many of you, know that. You know that you are in Christ. But you don't know the security that you have. You don't understand that you are really secure. So let's take a look at another verse. And this is the one that I have uh, at in the middle part of the back side of your handout. That's where I thought I was going before. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14 says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit 
guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Those two verses tell us four real important things. First of all, you are included in Christ. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. You were included. Secondly, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Thirdly, you were guaranteed an inheritance. The Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. And the last one is redeemed as God's possession. You are redeemed as God's possession. Uh, deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So let me talk to some of you here that may not yet have placed your life in Christ. Maybe you're not yet what we would call a Christian, but you've been thinking about it. You've been thinking hard about it. Well, maybe today, just maybe today is your day. Maybe this is the day where you step over the line, right where you're sitting. Or up, up front here with our ministry team, That'll be in place here shortly. Or on your knees. We've got places you can kneel up here. Or flat on your face. I've seen some of you flat on your face. Watch us for a second. You make a spiritual decision today to take your life and to place it in Christ. And if you're deciding to do that today, the connect card that John told you about earlier on the back side of, side of it at the top has two little boxes. The first one said, I made a first-time decision today to begin my relationship with Jesus. The second one said, I would like more information about making that decision. And if either of those fits your situation today, then check that box. And I will get in touch with you this week, I promise. And we can talk about it. If you have never made that decision to place your life in Christ, to trust Him from today throughout all of eternity, then I want to invite you to do that right now. There's no better time. I want to invite you to open up your heart, to open up your life and say, God, come in. Come into my life. I'm turning my life over to you. I'm placing myself in Christ. And I'm doing it today. And then you too can walk away from here knowing that you are eternally saved George, look, I know that I made that spiritual decision 
to be in Christ. For some of you, you've done it a couple of times. But how can I possibly know that even though I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit, that I can't mess up so much that I'll no longer be in Christ, that I'll no longer have forgiveness from God, that I'll lose my salvation, that I'll fall from grace. How can I know that? And I would say to you or to anyone else, remember by whom you were sealed. Who did the sealing? We just read that. Holy Spirit did the sealing. There's some power in that sealing. It's, it's, like you, it's like you took this rock right here, this little pebble, and you put it in your hand, and you closed your hand. I'm in Christ, okay? But somebody can pry my fingers open and get to that pebble. But if you put the pebble into Christ, close it up, and then seal it with the Holy Spirit, So who could possibly break that seal? Satan? No. How about, how about sin? Actions that you take that are sinful. How about them? That break the seal? What can break that seal? Only the seal breaker can break the seal. Is that not right? Let's find out more about the seal cool. I didn't put these scriptures in your handout because, frankly, we'd have a book. But um, turn to Revelation chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. We're not going to read all those, but we're going to read some selected verses. You can follow along in your Bibles, or I have it up here on the screen as the ministry team comes and gets in place. Chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 1. This is John, remember, who saw a vision and was writing it down. A vision of heaven. Verse 1, chapter 5. Then I saw the right hand of him who sat on the throne. A scroll was writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? They're asking the same question. Verse 3, but no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep, see the line of the tribe of Judah. The root of David has triumphed. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. 
and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. I think that's eternal. Amen. Chapter 6, I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Chapter 3, I mean verse 3. When the Lamb opened the second seal, and you can read what happened. Verse 5, when the Lamb opened the third seal, verse 7, when the Lamb opened the fourth seal, Verse 9, when the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? I watched as he opened the sixth a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The sky receded like a scroll rolling up and every mountain and island was place. Things are happening. The seals are getting broken. Verse 7. Chapter 7, verse 9. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Verse 13. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? 
And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and will serve him day and night in his temple. And he, will, and he who sits on the throne will spread his tent over them. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Chapter 8. When he opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half If you are in Christ, if you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, nothing can break that seal. Nothing this side of heaven can break that seal. There's only one who's worthy to break that seal. That's the seal breaker himself, Jesus Christ. He wants you to be secure. He wants you to feel secure. He wants you to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. He wants you to know it. The band's going to help us to worship a little bit here with a song that you already know. I'm going to ask you, if you are one of those people who is in Christ and are sealed, at some time during the song, come up here and write your initials on our wall of forgiveness. You've been forgiven. Amen. You've been forgiven. That's something to celebrate. Write your initials on the wall. If you need to pray about that with somebody, then the ministry team is, is here to help. They'd be happy to pray with you. If you want to pray yourself, there's plenty of uh, mats up here that you can get on and pray in your seats. Let's worship the seal breaker right now. <laughs> 